0: Live from Lane County, Oregon. It's the Bose Bo's No show. with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Oichch. and now Here's Jay Good afternoon
1: everyone. This is the Bo's Nose, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, from the Pacific Northwest, and uh, if you might notice, my voice doesn't quite sound like it normally does. That's because I've got one of those, that horrendous uh, upper respiratory virus that has been circulating around the country. Yeah, I spent way too much time in an aluminum tube with recirculated air with a couple hundred other people over the last week, and uh, it eventually got to me. That and going to a convention of several thousand people from all over the country and doing a lot of handshaking and, and meet and greet sort of stuff. Yeah, somewhere along the line, somebody got me. So if I start breaking into a coughing fit, my producer Robin has promised to step in and sing uh, Scottish ballads for us to entertain you while I'm coughing. Um, But uh, hopefully (coughs) we'll get through most of the show. One little cough there. Not too much hacking. Um, But I did spend all of last week in Washington, D.C., which is always a – An interesting experience, because I I actually was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up in the uh, Maryland suburbs of D.C. My dad worked for CBS News. So I kind of uh, grew up a little closer to politics than than a lot of people do. And when I go back there, um, it's sort of like going back home, except for it's changed so much since I left in 93. Um, You know, I went past 14th and U Street. Um, which now looked like a pretty tony neighborhood. In fact, I think there was a Tesla dealer just around the corner. Uh, and that used to be considered the red light district of D.C. when I was growing up as a as a high school kid, we would drive down there just to, you know, kind of for the thrill of having the, the, the girls, you know, seeing the girls on the street corners and all that stuff. And if you stopped too long, they'd walk up and ask you if you wanted a date. Of course, all of us weren't brave enough or anything even to talk to him. We usually sped off at that point. But DC has really changed. Uh, A lot of the neighborhoods that uh, used to be no go zones basically um, have turned into some pretty nice neighborhoods and of course, like everywhere else, housing costs are skyrocketing and uh, it's it's changed quite a bit from when I from when I grew up there um, and left in 93. But DC uh also has all the politics there and part of the reason we were there was one it was the National Association of Counties uh, uh legislative conference it's their annual conference where they bring you know county commissioners judges whatever you whatever they're called in from all over the US and we have a couple days of conferences with 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 uh You know, educational sessions and, and let's, you know, legislative sessions where we actually draft up some resolutions and get them through the national uh, to to be the the National Association stance on certain issues. And then the real objective is once the uh, weekend, you know, we flew in on Friday and the, the educational stuff and business stuff all happens over the weekend, but once Monday comes around and the Congress critters start showing up. And by Tuesday, just about everybody's on the Hill instead of at the NACO conference. And spent quite a bit of time on the Hill on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, it got to meet with just about all of, uh. All of my delegation uh, as far as Congress goes, plus also uh, representative Greg Walden, uh, who doesn't represent my area, but he's the uh, fourth ranking Republican in the House. So uh, was pretty interesting day. Also got to get debriefed by the uh, staff from the uh, majority chair and the uh, minority um, uh, leader of the uh, Senate Energy and Public Lands Committee, uh, which was pretty interesting. But the first part of the conference was really the county commissioners by themselves and all that, which is kind of interesting because you get to meet people from all over the country. But uh, I was specifically there because now that I am co-chair of the Association of Oregon County's, uh Public Safety Committee, I have a seat, a voting seat, on the National's um, Justice and Public Safety Committee, where they uh, draft resolutions and, and policy positions on uh, justice and public safety for the National Organization of Counties. Um, and it was interesting because part of that, they spent quite a bit of the day talking about a couple of various things. And, and one of them was uh, justice reinvestment uh, and trying to spend uh, money in uh, more proactive ways to prevent people from ending up in prison than paying the cost of holding them in prison. And the trend to try and do that. And I was pleasantly surprised to figure out that Lane County is pretty much leading, you know, on the leading edge with with other counties that are on the leading edge of working towards uh, trying to divert people from prison. We've got a lot of various programs from some of our specialty court programs like drug court and veterans court to some uh, pretty interesting programs through our parole and probation office where we're actually um, teaching some um, life skills through what they call cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy. Uh, I'm going to trip over words with uh, my uh, sinuses stopped up, so please forgive me today. And uh, we've we've got a whole bunch of other programs, like we work with uh, a local nonprofit called Sponsors that houses people coming out of prison um, in their initial release from prison and reintegrates them into society and kind of get some you know, through those first um, weeks and months where they might end up back with their old crowd, uh, unemployed and, and reoffending, gets them into uh, some stable housing, teaches them, you know, helps them find a job uh, and gets them, you know, stabilized and into back into the community away from their old peers and um, eventually transitioning out of that temporary uh, transitional housing into regular housing and all that been really uh, an amazing program as far as keeping people from going right back to prison again and uh breaking that cycle and we've got multiple programs like that it, it would take me most of the program just to try and go over all those and how they're funded we cobble together funding from all sorts of different places at state level a whole bunch of places at the federal level and that's one of the concerns that came up during the conference is no one really knows what the president's budget is going to look like and one of the places they're talking about taking money back is in some of the justice and uh, public safety grant programs uh, that come down to the local level eventually Uh, and it would be a big impact to the local governments Uh, there's a uh, justice assistance uh, grant program that we've utilized in the past in lane county and there's the um there's a mental health um, assistance program that we utilize here that we also help try and keep people out of the jail that have mental health issues and i'll talk more about that later um but the the concern is is one of the things they're talking about in dealing with sanctuary states and cities and counties etc is to shut down their funding that's related to justice and public safety. So as our state continues on with our 30 year old um, sanctuary status uh, and statute, uh, it may uh, put at risk a funding source where we're actually diverting people from the prison population, which is one of the places that, state of Oregon's trying to avoid a lot of costs down the road because we're right on the edge of needing to build a new woman's prison and we're not that far away from having to build an additional men's prison. So you've got those huge capital costs and the annual operating costs for those prisons is, is big as we're staring at our big um, $1.6 billion budget deficit was 1.8 but they got a new revenue forecast said they're getting an extra 200 million dollars because the economy's turned up hmm wonder why the economy's turned up but uh could could have been a result of a presidential election but who knows so it it was pretty interesting you know as i was attending sessions about justice reinvestment to figure out that lane county we're we're doing a pretty damn good job In fact, we probably could have been giving some of those talks on justice reinvestment. And I also went to several on uh, mental health and trying to keep people out of what out of jail and in in particular that have mental health issues. And there again, it was the same thing. We've got a lot of great programs going on in Lane County. We probably could have given some of the the programs that they they talked about. Uh, In particular, we've we've placed Three mental health professionals into our jail to to try and assess people quickly and get them um, warm handoffs at you know coming out of the jail. So once we get them stabilized and on, on the correct meds and balance their meds and everything, they get out and uh, continue contact with mental health professionals once they're released. Um, in addition to things we do on the street, like we use some of those justin assistance grants and all the places we cobble money together uh, from the state justice reinvestment act and the specialty court stuff. Some of that money has gone into expanding the cahoots program, which is the, uh, the mental health crisis providers that come in and. You know, try and help the guys on the street that would normally end up being picked up by the cops and end up in our jail, which is probably the worst place for them, because it's not a good place for somebody that's in a mental health crisis. Uh, and also, um, we opened a 23-hour clinic, and that, it, that's termed that for a reason. It's it's a, uh, a, a short-stay clinic for people that are in acute crisis. So the CAHOOTS people pick someone up, and generally they had a couple choices, you know, wh- whether they could get that person stabilized and, and leave him where he was, or they'd end up taking him to uh, – a hospital's acute care facility, like the Johnson unit at sacred health, sacred heart, or, um, you know, they can end up turning them over to the cops and then cops end up arresting them. They end up in the jail system. But this, this short stay clinic is different from the Johnson unit in that it, the Johnson units meant for like a seven to 21 day stay, you know, for somebody that's in a pretty acute mental health crisis to get them, uh, beyond you know whether it's a suicidal thoughts or or you know the uh, a massive um manic depressive episode um but the the 23-hour clinics more you know trying to aim at, you know kind of the people that aren't quite that severely you know keep them out of there so there's space beds for the people that really need those beds and try and deal with some of these people that they can stabilize in less than 24 hours and maybe get connected with. A uh, community based mental health provider to continue the care at the end of the crisis. So we're doing a lot in Wayne County to try and um, keep folks that have mental health issues and the behaviors that they're exhibiting because of that mental health issue from ending up in jail purely for a behavioral thing. You know, the guy that's standing on the corner screaming at everyone. You know as they walk by or drive by ends up being uh, that the, the person that ends up in our jail and it's really the wrong place for them uh, we really want to get those people somewhere else so it was pretty interesting during that first part of the conference to see we're pretty much a leader there were some other things um, that were interesting because the justice and um, public safety committee also deals with emergency um, response uh to and i'm talking about natural disaster response and all that and we had some folks talk to us that are from uh, fema and fema's getting ready to try you know they're they're putting out lots of money because of the 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 limits for a local disaster are fairly low i think we got to get to two million dollars worth of damage to public facilities and then there's a 75 percent reimbursement on that Well, they want to get to where there's um, a $2 million deductible per state unless the state invests $3 million a a year in um, doing uh, proactive uh, strengthening and hardening of of infrastructure infrastructure to prevent damage and, uh, you know, Looking at Oregon and and how unwilling they've been to pass a transportation bill and all that stuff and getting them to do their 3 million would be pretty interesting. But the tough part would be what if you're the first county during that calendar that that federal fiscal year that has a disaster that qualifies? Like we had the ice storm in December. I don't know if any if there are any disasters in uh, November, October or November before that in the federal calendar federal fiscal calendar, Uh, but that ice storm that we had here in Lane County that caused $9 million worth of damage, we would have had to buck up and pay 2 million of that first, and then we got 75% reimbursement for the other 7 million. But then here comes later on in Harney County and all those folks have all that snow in January and it starts collapsing buildings and everything else out there in Eastern Oregon and and they start getting reimbursed 75 cents on a dollar from the first dollar damage they report <laughs> kind of not really fair to lane county or whoever has that first disaster or something so um, they heard an earful from a lot of counties when they came to talk to us about how unfair that proposal was so they're they're going to probably go back to the drawing board but it's kind of one of those government things we got to control costs so let's figure out how we can uh put it back on on the local folks <laughs> never mind the fact that the federal staff is blown up like you wouldn't believe over the last uh, eight years so um but then at least there's a hiring freeze on now uh temporarily at the federal level so it won't continue to do so but that that was kind of you know some of the things that were coming out of that justice and public safety committee okay, and i did get to go to a uh immigration um sort of town hall meeting one morning, to, and they specifically talked about the issue of sanctuary. And sanctuary counties, and it was pretty legalistic and, um, you know, with attorneys presenting. But it was very interesting that the actual, um. US code that that requires, uh. uh Look, local governments to cooperate with, uh, immigrations and, and customs enforcement is really only talks about communication between those age that agency and local agencies and the only um law or statute that's ever been found to violate that was actually something that rudy giuliani put in place in new york city when he was mayor you know so it's it's pretty interesting uh, it'll be a it'd be interesting when it gets to the battle between the Trump administration and these sanctuary cities like San Francisco. Um, As I listen to the attorneys and my knowledge of law, which is mostly just from being sued enough times as a county and listening to a lot of attorneys talk, uh, (laughs) it didn't sound black and white that he's gonna be able to just crack down on sanctuary counties and have it stick in court. it, it'll be a very interesting um, legal battle uh there's you know the only thing he can really go after is if they refuse to communicate but the the like holding people for ice and and um actually working as an agent for ice uh, at the local level that's really not addressed in in federal u um, s code so it, it'll be it'll be interesting when we get to that 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 issue of can he actually withhold funds um, based on a sanctuary status of a local government? Um? It was, it was eye opening to me because I kind of thought it was just a, a foregone conclusion. He might have the right to do that, but there were all sorts of uh, very strong legal reasons. Everything from due process issues uh, to violating the, uh, the the 10th amendment. Uh, it, it was. Pretty pretty interesting discussion that I got to sit and listen to. But I don't want to spend the whole time boring you guys with the inside baseball on on the National Association of Counties. I want to get to actually getting up on Capitol Hill. Getting into congressmen's offices and stuff like that, which is just fascinating just to even try and get like into the Capitol. Nowadays Uh, takes a good half hour or so of waiting in line to go through a metal detector. Um? It, it was it was a pretty interesting day. Um, the first uh, Congress critter we actually got to meet with as a group, and this was the County Commissioners that were from Oregon. Was uh, Senator Ron Wyden. And my past meetings with Ron Wyden and elected the local elected officials. Have been basically Ron Wyden comes in talks at you for about 20 minutes without taking a breath um, and goes over everything he wants to say and then one of his aides will come in and say senator you've got this meeting or phone call you have to get to and he says well thanks everybody for coming to leaves um the interesting thing was that was not how this meeting went for the very first time the senator maybe spoke for Five minutes at the most, and then he asked, you know, he, us to to you know talk to him, which was a really um, great opportunity because our the president of our uh, Oregon Association of Counties kind of went around and picked different um, commissioners to ask questions, and you know things came up like the uh, low income tax credit and protecting that because uh, it's pretty important to tool to local governments to uh to construct and build low-income housing for us um the uh, HAXA, which is uh the local housing authority here in lane county um st vincent de paul uh cornerstone all these low-income housing providers have used low-income housing tax credits to get their financing for the capital portion of the construction and there's been some discussion in the uh tax um uh overhaul that's being propo- proposed that that would be one of the things that might go away and even the discussion of that has basically shut down the market on on low-income housing tax credits and we have a project down there at six and oak uh, in, in, uh with uh, brian Obi, uh that's kind of sitting on hold and a couple others um partly because the uncertainty in that whole market. So it'd be great to get some certainty around that. And of course, you know, Senator Wyden was like a big supporter of that. And there are other questions from other commissioners, you know, everything from waters of the US uh, to uh, the biological opinion from uh, NOAA on the uh, FEMA flood insurance program that may cause a lot of problems here in Oregon. But I got my chance to to ask a question, of course, um, in my particular topic was about. Secure rural schools and uh, management of federal force. Because one of the things that he said in his five minute speech was he was going to work really hard to reauthorize some form of the secure rural schools act and get some funding down to counties and I basically. You know, said, you know, thank you for your path work on that, but please do not attempt to reauthorize SRS. I said, you will do more damage than good to our county. And I tried and I explained to him, I said, every time you guys do start talking about reauthorizing SRS, I can't get my local citizens to support local levies to support services because they think the federal government's going to rescue us and and usually when you guys when you and senator Merkley talk about srs you talk about the total dollar value coming to the state of oregon 100 million dollars is going to come to the state of oregon and you never talk about the fact that 50 percent gets chopped off the top and goes straight to schools it's a pass-through thing that comes to the counties the the check comes to the county and we immediately have to hand the check over to the common school fund and then There's another 15% that gets chopped off for Title II and Title III of the Secure Rural Schools Act, which essentially goes into things like watershed protection stuff and goes to watershed councils, uh, our Firewise program. Uh, It it can't be used. It's very specific how it can be used. And it really gets spent in force, not by the counties. And then have that You know, what's remaining of that 50% less 15% um, ends up also about half of that goes into our road fund where it's highly restricted on how it can be spent. So by the time we get down to Lane County's general fund, out of that $100 million, even though Lane County is the largest recipient of SRS funds in the state because the amount of U.S. forest land and ONC land we have, we get about four million into our general fund, and the, we've got a serial levy for to support our jails. A renewal of it coming up this May, that actually will put about sixteen million a year in, in, into our, our jail. So, for that four million dollar possibility, you may make it so we can't pass something that will be sixteen million for five years. And if you don't understand how damaging that is to to the counties it you know please try and understand it now talk about it any way you want to other than secure rural schools in fact what i'd rather have you talk about is we're going to pass a management bill for our federal forest and in that there may be some bridge funding to the counties uh and then that doesn't say that the, the term secure rural schools isn't in there and it talks about getting the management which is what the people really want in Lane County anyway. And after I finished speaking, I didn't take as long as I did. I kind of did a short version of that. For, I was trying to get to explain some things in more detail to you all. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Senator Wyden was dumbfounded. I mean, he kind of sat there starting to talk a couple of times, and, and I, I think I, I absolutely just gobsmacked him with that which a couple of the uh, commissioners from southern and eastern Oregon afterwards were all ribbing me about. They they were laughing because it's the first time they'd seen Wyden Speechless. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was a really surprising message for him to hear, but a powerful one, I think, in that we we don't need any more entitlement handouts. We need to get our forest fixed and working for us in Lane County. You know, that's really uh, what's important, and uh, you know that that's that's really uh, where we we need to go in in Oregon and and across the country. We need to stop paying folks because we're not harvesting a renewable resource out of our public lands. And doing it in a very environmentally sensitive way. Logging today is not what logging was 50 years ago. And I you know, I hope that we can get to a point where we actually develop a harvest plan. Which kind of gets me just to, to um, some of my other meetings. And I kind of, you know, had a similar meeting with, with Senator Merkley. He was a little shocked when I brought up the S don't don't renew the SRS. Um the debrief from the uh, Senate Energy and Public Lands folks, uh, it was uh, Lisa Murkowski's uh, chief person that staffed the committee that led that meeting. She was shocked to hear that same message about SRS. Um, hadn't really heard the downside of it. Um, you know, talking with Congressman DeFazio, he actually wrote a harvest plan um, and management plan for the OMC lands. So he gets it. I didn't have to, to convince him. He understands it. And the really, um, positive meeting was getting in with, uh, representative Walden because, you know, one of the real concerns was representative Walden. Now it chairs, a, a committee that, that he got handed the you know, rewriting the affordable care act. He's kind of being handed this whole, uh, infra- infrastructure, um, uh, bill that, that, the Trump administration wants, and he also has the forest policy stuff under him. And there was a real concern that it would take <coughs> most of the year to get the Affordable Care Act um, rewritten, and that would bump off um, the forest stuff. But talking with him and his staff, they're on rewriting the forest stuff. And that may happen sooner rather than later that we actually get a forest management bill out of out of congress and that was really um one of the more optimistic meetings uh, i had there on the hill was listening to uh representative walden talk about that issue and and various other issues um so you know it's kind of interesting going to all the democrats and and kind of listening to the woe is me and and the sky is going to fall and horrible things are happening and um you yeah, know, we don't know what's going on because half people haven't been appointed and there's no budget that's come from the president yet. Um, we don't know what's going to go on with the Affordable Care Act. And next thing you know, uh, this week we've got a, a proposal at least for a repeal, a repeal, rem- replace. Um, which we can talk about later if you want, because I have some opinions about um, that. I didn't think they went far enough with the uh, replace portion of that. Um, so. But that's my personal opinion. Probably sit more on the uh, um, you know the side of uh, uh, some of the more um, libertarian folks that thought that it needed to go more into a market side market um, driven set of plans uh, than they than they went. But you know, so DC is pretty interesting. Um, it was kind of interesting because I was also there with my fellow Commissioner uh, Sid Lyken, Who uh, chaired the Trump campaign here in Lane County was the the um, honorary head of the campaign, although they really didn't run a campaign in Oregon at all, but he had that title. Um, so he's actually stayed in pretty close contact with the Trump campaign and uh, went out. Um, to dinner a couple of different nights with. Um, Uh, somebody that actually ran the whole campaign for the state of Michigan for a while and his boss was actually um, one of the national directors for the Trump campaign and that's who uh, Sid got to have dinner with was this guy and they're actually starting a K Street firm now um, and got to have a lot of discussions about the whole campaign and everything and it was pretty fascinating, some of the inside information Sid brought back where they actually manipulated the Clinton campaign into thinking that they weren't doing a ground game and they were, they were in disarray and they didn't have offices open in some of these critical uh, key battleground areas. And they actually hid the fact they actually had offices in those areas. They didn't do storefront street level campaign offices. You typically see, you know, that, you know, you know trump for president down there you know in the windows and signs and stuff like that um, they actually had campaign offices like on the sixth floor of an office building somewhere and didn't have anything on the directory of the building that said trump campaign offices because they basically didn't want people to know they were there and they had a spectacular ground game that was run by uh, rinse previous um, and uh, kind of did a rope-a-dope on the Clinton campaign on, on the what they call the ground game, which is getting people actually to the polls on election day that support you, identifying them, getting them, you know, and motivating them to actually show up at the polls uh, is a big part of winning the campaign. That's what they, what they refer to as the ground campaign, because you actually have to almost go door-to-door and ask people, you know, do a questionnaire sort of thing to identify whether a person's likely to be supporting your candidate or not and how strongly and they get kind of rated on some of that and um, then you have to do follow-up contact with those people to kind of you know the people you identify that are possible supporters to solidify their support and then you got to be contacting them you know this is for non-mail-in ballot states about you know you know getting them all hyped up to go to the polls and, you know, calling them on on having a system for calling them on, on uh, polling day. Have you gone yet? Are you going, you know, do you need a ride? You know, can we help you with a ride and all that stuff? And that's a a critical piece of a lot of campaigns and a very complicated logistic heavy piece. And uh, he basically had the media, you know, they, they fed, kind of a false story out to the media about the, um, there was some internal strife in the Trump campaign because they didn't have a good ground game and they were failing to do all this stuff and didn't have offices open and all that. And the media went ahead and ran stories about it And the Hillary campaign, bought it and and didn't heavily invest in their own ground game in some in some ways. And that's one of the ways she got beaten. Those battleground states was. He really did have a ground game and she may not have concentrated on as much as she should have on her ground game. And, and they did other things like. Um, he attended, you know, held rallies in states that were never going to vote for him blue states like New York State, Washington, Oregon, California. It made it look like he was going to make an effort to swing those states, you know, like Oregon that hadn't voted for Republican president in in several election cycles and and uh, likewise with California. But that was the only money he spent in those states. He basically held those rallies. They had all the protests and all that stuff. Some of them had violence down in California. uh, And that was the only money he spent in those states was to hold those rallies and the Clinton campaign. Spent money in California and Oregon and Washington and New York. Trying to concentrate and, and one of the things that was important to Hillary was she was she was so sure she was going to win the electoral college. She was concentrating on trying to get a strong. Uh, uh, popular vote. So that's one of the reasons she spent money in those states where Trump didn't spend any and spent it all in in these battleground straight states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Florida, Wisconsin, you know, the ones that got important on election night. So it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, inside look I got to have just by the fact that that my fellow commissioners, friends with somebody that was inside the campaign, and while we were in D.C., he had an opportunity to go out to dinner with those guys. Um, pretty interesting stuff, probably way inside political football and wonkish for some people, but uh, I, I was, I've i marveled at the ability of uh, Mr. Trump to manipulate the press sometimes. And, uh, you know, my prime example was how he manipulated the press on inauguration weekend uh, on the day that there were millions of women out um, marching and protesting in that the, and in the women's marches, he started tweeting about how they or under underestim- They underestimated the size of the crowds on on inauguration day. And the next day on the Sunday news shows that was the major story. Was they were talking about whether the crowd size estimations were right. They were showing pictures of Obama's inauguration versus Trump's inauguration and things like that, you know, and it, it was and and. The millions of women that marched were off the front page, and he kind of did it again this weekend when he tweeted out about how he was uh, wiretapped uh, during the campaign by the, by the Obamas. And uh, of course, he didn't. He threw a couple red meat tweets out there, no proof, no mention of how he, he, he came to this conclusion. And of course, that was what the press talked about all weekend was how he had no proof of this and come Monday. uh, And the the talk shows get cranked up on Monday, uh, conservative talk radio. And sure enough, there were New York Times articles back in January talking about how wiretaps were building um, cases against certain Trump officials. And, you know, you can't make this stuff up um, and how he's, you know, he kind of let him down to, you know, they're, they're pounding, 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 pounding. And it was their own news articles that actually proved that he, his staff and, and his campaign were being wiretapped. So uh, just masterful manipulation of, of, of the, the press sometimes. And I guess that comes with he's always been the showman. Uh, you know, my my experiences with him from the East Coast weren't always good because, you know, my wife worked for a company that got stiff during one of his uh, many bankruptcies. But as I watched him, he was the ultimate, you know, Barnum and Bailey uh, huckster showman out there that, that could generate his own news all the time. And and manipulate the press into giving him free coverage constantly when he wanted it, Uh, whether it was promoting uh, Trump Plaza or whether it was Trump Casino or some event he was involved in. Or once he got his own reality television show, he just has a way of getting the press to cover him like I've never seen anyone do and and have the coverage be the way he wants it to be. Even when you think he's getting negative coverage, he's getting what he wants quite often. So um, so it's kind of a fascinating insight. DC is an interesting place. Um, it was interesting that uh, hardly anyone was available to meet, meet with on Monday because almost everyone's still coming back into town. And on Friday, they're all leaving town. So DC operates on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, but it's really a, a pretty pretty cool town. I, I love going back there. It's so inspirational. I got to take a quick tour of the Capitol. It was probably my fourth one in my lifetime, so a lot of the stuff I probably could talk about to the, the group, but it's just fun to walk into the old uh, Supreme Court um, uh, chambers that were in the Capitol for a long time, until uh, the late 1800s when they built the Supreme Court court building uh the old uh uh house chambers in there the old senate chambers uh getting in the rotunda with the artwork that's around the, the perimeter and the artwork that's on the ceiling and just that the magnitude of that rotunda is just yeah amazing and of course um Yeah, you always have to go to that one part that used to be the old house chamber and have somebody whispers, you know, so you can stand where John Quincy Adams um, desk was and hear them whisper over in the other corner. Um, Supposedly the, the people, you know, his opposition always wondered how they knew what they were doing, but it's just it's a neat and inspirational town in a lot of ways. And what was kind of interesting and this is a complete aside and it's partly because I'm here in Oregon was I went everywhere with Uber when I got there. first time I used it. Last time I was in D.C., I was mostly being shoveled around by uh, a lobbyist uh, from meeting to meeting. They, They were calling Uber, but we were going everywhere with Uber then. And I actually downloaded Uber on my phone before, right as I got there and set up my account, you know, in a couple of minutes and then started using Uber for the first time there in D.C. And it was incredible you know, you could get from our hotel was up in Northwest, uh, near the zoo. And we had to do a lot of meetings that were down near Capitol Hills, to get to and from, you know, I was getting Ubers for you know six or $7 when some of the folks that were taking cabs were, and with multiple people in the, in the Uber, uh, people taking cabs were at least $20 just to get to Capitol Hill. And on the, uh, Last day, I went to visit one of my brother who lives out in Calverton, Maryland, which is a pretty good distance. It's about an hour's drive to get out there um, with DC traffic, it's, you know, be about, you know, half an hour if for in Oregon. Uh, but I used an Uber pool to get out there and. A guy picked me up and I had, had suitcase and all that stuff. And. Uh, he. Uh, picked up a second passenger not too far away from where I was dropped that passenger off and about two thirds the way to my brother's house and took me door to door to my brother's house and it was a it was less than twenty dollars and that was a long trip for that guy uh, to be taking but it was amazing amazing how how effective that is yet here in Oregon because they are being so protectionist of the cab companies they haven't yet let Uber in the state fully. Here in Eugene, it's not available. In Portland, it's, it's not available. And we're just shooting ourselves in the foot because that's becoming the way tourists get around town. And it's a safety issue. If you've got Uber, people don't drive drunk. It's so easy to get an Uber. You know, if you've been to a bar, you know, you leave. Yeah, you know, if you accidentally drank too much, you leave your car. Take an Uber home, take an Uber back in the morning to pick your vehicle up, and it's it's cheap and easy and safe and an amazing thing. I just don't understand why Oregon hasn't moved into the twenty first century and said, Uber, lift all these rideshare programs, you're okay. And we think you should operate because We're starting to get folks, you know, we've got this Silicon Shire here in the Eugene Springfield area where we're trying to promote high-tech businesses, and we're getting folks up from San Jose, California, and they pull out their Uber apps, and they can't understand why they can't find a car, because that's how they're used to getting around, and taxis seem arcane, old-fashioned, expensive. The cars are usually not well-maintained. I had had one other... Local um, commissioner uh, from Oregon, they they got a taxi at one point, and the guy was obviously drunk, and was weaving across the the double yellow line on the center line at some point during the drive. Uh, never had that issue with any Uber drivers, so don't understand why Oregon doesn't get the Uber. So you know we skipped over a lot of subjects here and I actually have, have been remiss in mentioning the telephone number you can call in on which is 646-721-9887. Just press 1 and that lets uh, Robin my call screener know if you want to join the conversation and I glanced over the Affordable Care Act earlier and I'd um, like to kind of get back to that and understand Robin you've got a question or a comment about the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act better known as Obamacare
0: yeah I, excuse me, I do. I was just um, uh, an article in, I believe is today's uh, local paper. They were talking about that excuse me, I think I got your throat. <laughs> anyway, they're talking about uh, eliminating the penalty. <coughs> I think is awesome. but they're also saying that uh, people that I'm quoting from the paper People who let their insurance coverage lapse, however, would face a significant penalty, which is kind of like if you're not going to make it mandatory, then wouldn't that be kind of going against uh, the whole point?
1: Yeah, and that's kind of some of the things that are bothering me about the the rewrite. Uh, I would be much more pleased if they tried to make it, instead of having some kind of uh, coverage that, you know, that you're going to give to the expand the medicaid coverage turn medicaid and that whole thing more into a high deductible health care system that only coverages catastrophic things and give people uh, their own health savings accounts and the folks that are medicaid eligible they would get an amount in their account that's equal to the deductible on that high deductible yeah, wherever they decide to set that you know, 3000 6000 per family, whatever. Beginning of the year, that money gets put into that account and they can spend that however they want on qualified healthcare expenses. You know, they get a little credit card they can take to the pharmacy or to the doctor's office. Um, and until you run past that deductible, the actual insurance doesn't start paying for things. Um, and that $6,000 even if you're, if it's Medicaid at the end of the year rolls over in that, that health savings account and is yours, you know, per, you know, if you don't spend it, it's yours Mm -hmm. and it can build up and eventually, uh, as you get into the Medicare age, you could use it for buying, uh, Medicare plus programs, you know, supplemental programs, but, you know, get,
0: You know, that makes a little bit more sense than tax credits. I can't spend a tax credit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, if we're going to put money into this, let's put it into accounts and let people then use it the way they want. It does a couple things. It means they're going to actually be paying cash for a service instead of having to go through this whole complicated billing systems that they've developed. I can't remember how many thousands of codes that they have. the Affordable Care Act administration of it has created for medical procedures, et cetera, to bill, you know, Medicaid against. I mean, it, it's an incredibly complex system they've built around trying to do the billing and the reimbursements for each various code. And, and then that's kind of gotten people to do code cramming, which is they try and split up procedures into as many separate little procedures they each have their own codes so they get more money reimbursed out of medicaid from it uh, and they're actually you know now second third party software to try and figure that stuff out <laughs> for the medical providers so it's like that whole system has got to go away you know we shouldn't have a, a code for every little th- you know every little thing that's you know. Uh, present in a doctor's office if he uses a tongue depressor, there's a code for that to get reimbursed. That tongue depressor, you know. <laughs> that,
0: um, <clears throat> oh, and a comment on your on the Uber. Um, yeah. I think I well, one thing I know that, like in Eugene, for example, um, they want to limit how many taxi cabs can be out there because of the permits and how much money they get off taxes. The second thing I wonder is that there was a little company probably about five six years back in Cottage Grove they made these little key ring uh, flashlights those squeeze things you know
1: yeah actually it was out in Blatchley
0: Blatchley okay so you know what I'm talking about
1: yeah a laughing rabbit
0: yeah and what happened to them is the state stepped in and said uh, these guys are are employees but you know for the people that don't know it was a way that Uh, People could take these home and work piecework and make as much as they want to or as little as they want to based on that. And so I'm kind of wondering if if the two are semi-related.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of in general. The state of Oregon is under the control of the public employees' unions, and therefore they're they're very strong – Labor laws that want to steer people into being employees, so they get benefits or something like that, and also so they're possibly unionizable. Now, if you're working as a contract employee for Laughing Rabbit and you're doing piecework, um, you're not very easily to be uh, unionized. Right. But you know what ended up happening was that, with that Le- Laughing Rabbit. You know they had they had some people that were seriously setting up their own production systems in a garage with a long table, and they were doing hundreds of these things a day and making really good money. And if you remember, those are those little Photon keychain things is what they made. Laughing Rabbit's the name of the company, but Photon was the, the actual product. Uh, little LED light that, you know, kind of disc-shaped uh, with a battery in it. it seemed to last forever. I don't think I've ever worn a battery out on one of those. And it was a great product. Yeah, and it was employing people out in rural Oregon because it was out in Blatchley. So you get some people that would would literally make a job out of this, and then you get other people like Grandma that would sit watching daytime TV, and you know talking on the phone, or wherever else. Put one or two of those things together, and then and it would and it was and it was just extra spending money for an elderly couple or something like that. And the state of Oregon, and all its great wisdom, said, you know what? Those aren't contract employees. You have to treat them like employees, which means then they're covered by minimum wage, and you have to pay the state's overly excessive high minimum wage. And Laughing Rabbit said, oh, well, we can't afford to do that. So you know what? They're now being assembled in China and shipped back to the U.S. for sale. So, you know, a nice local Oregon company. Ended up uh, moving their production to China, you know, because we couldn't tolerate people actually only getting paid for, the, uh, you know, by the piece.
0: Exactly. Which, All those people lost out.
1: Yeah, which is one of the reasons why kids aren't picking beans anymore in the fields. They made piecework basically illegal.
0: Well, they also changed the uh, child labor laws too, making it illegal for a kid to go do that
1: yeah so it's just it's it's just um you know stepping in and, and trying to control the market you know and there hasn't been any major abuse of any of that um you know once upon a time ago um, you know, there were piecework factories in the industrial revolution times uh, where they paid microscopic amounts and they also charged for materials and things like that. And it, and it became virtually slave wages uh, for piecework. Uh, you know, most people, if if left to the market, will just can decide whether, you know, after an hour or two of doing piecework stuff, whether they're actually making enough money for themselves and whether it's worth continuing on. You know, we're, we're down to almost 4% unemployment now in, in in Lane County. I think the report came out today, uh, which is basically full employment. So, you know, you really have to try to get employees these employees nowadays. So really should be more flexibility in labor laws in, in that way. Well, which, you know, it's about letting the market control what people make.
0: Exactly, and don't stifle new businesses because with all the... Uh... Well, even getting back to the insurance, just to start a business, uh what 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 was the number twenty-five employees? Then you, you are required to uh as a company to purchase insurance for employees?
1: I can't remember if it's twenty five or fifty, but it's it's somewhere in that range.
0: Right. And but even as an owner, um, you know, between the penalties of about two thousand dollars a year per person, I mean, right there if, if you're starting a business what is it about three to five years before you expect to take a take make a profit or take home money from it
1: yeah
0: and add that on top of it like really
1: yeah and and small businesses are where most of our new jobs come from about eighty percent of the jobs in recovery are are businesses of less than 100 employees new jobs Uh, so it's really it's a driving engine in our economy and the, the harder they make it for small business and, and that's the thing is, is a lot of the people that promote these kind of rules are anti-big corporations. Corporations are evil. And uh, they turn around and make these rules, and the only ones that can afford to live by those rules are big corporations.
0: Exactly. Look how many companies... I'll uh, do a really quick example here in a few minutes we have left. Golden Temple, which mm-hmm. is now uh, owned by... Post or subsidiary of Post, which employs over a hundred people, started out in a garage. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's a local uh they make cereal and, and a whole bunch of other uh, foods. Uh, yeah, that that's yeah, they they started out in garage. There's so many other companies that did like that. Um, and that, that you never know when when somebody's garage company like Laughing Rabbit and Photon Lights will be the next, um, you know, big company that starts making a whole bunch of other products and keeps expanding their, their, their market and their and their size and, uh, you know, you really want to try and encourage those things to happen and to stay in the local community. Which, uh, you know, it's always, always a fun thing. um, You know, getting back to, to being in DC and, and. You know, people not getting it somewhat about what really what really makes capital and jobs go overseas versus what keeps them here in the U.S. And uh, you know, the the, the desire to uh, take the Affordable Care Act and still put so much onus on the employer um, that's that's not helping us.
0: No, not at all.
1: Yep. Well, we're getting pretty Kind of got to listen to me babble on about D.C. an awful lot today. Next week, give me a call because you can steer the conversation. 646-721-9887 here at the Bo's Nose Show. And, you know, you can always reach us between shows at talk at krbnradio.net. It's... Really uh, easy way to get a hold of us. And you don't have to be on, on the show. So uh, please, you know, give us a shout. I want to talk about what you want to hear about rather than me just talking about what is either on my, on my mind or week or what's happening in, in the country or whatever. But we want this to be a conversation on the Bose Nose Show. I appreciate any of you that listened to me ramble on today, at cold and all. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bo's Nose Show, live from here in beautiful downtown Elmira We'll see you next week. Have a great week and a great evening.